Once upon a time, there was a little country town where folks had a very strange diet. Strangers who stopped for lunch ended up staying for dinner. What did I just have? Yes! This just came in this morning. Is it really fresh? Mrs. Wilson, if it was any fresher, it would get up and tell you itself. American International Pictures presents Cannibal Girls. They're young, beautiful, and very, very sexy. They love every man they meet. First to death, then for dinner. What will you have for dinner, my lovelies? What will you have? Hmm? In case you hadn't noticed, I decided to stay. No, no, no. Yes, it's rather nice to have a man around the house. In order not to offend or horrify those in the audience of a squeamish or prudish disposition, the sound of a bell in the theater will warn you when to close your eyes or turn away so that you may avoid witnessing certain scenes of an especially erotic or gruesome nature. Food can be a marvelous appetizer. I'm looking forward to the main course myself. Cannibal Girls. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Definitely First Blood. I'm Christopher. And I am Mitch. I forgot that was my thing. Sorry. And we are a horror movie podcast. We talk about horror movies from the 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s, and have a separate series that we started doing. Mm -hmm. Only one episode so far, but horror movies of today. And yeah. Hi. Hi. We're continuing our string of winter movies Mm -hmm. and uh, dipping further into canadian horror movies yeah tis the season two in a row i uh, like it this is our first horror movie from the 70s that we've done in a really long time yeah as i was well. gonna say was the last one we did from the 70s piranha i'm just gonna say yes i enthusiastically I other ones that we've did we do any argento ones after that i can't remember mm. they all sort of i have no idea it feels like it was yesterday that we did like ticks and that was our first episode because it was yesterday. Wake up. Wake up. <laughs> We're in a time loop again. Ah, oh, no. A Christmas time loop. Oh, uh, God damn it. We shouldn't have watched, fallen asleep watching the Hallmark Channel while drunk on eggnog. Yeah, that's what we get. I've never been drunk on eggnog. Neither have I. I enjoy eggnog. Alcoholic eggnog is disgusting I've to me. O- I can only drink a small highball glass or juice glass of eggnog. It's like a... It's like a pump... Uh, Candy corn. Yeah. I used to only have a little bit. And then there was that year where we got all of the, um, like the old timey in the glass bottle. Oh, yeah. We did. And those were like really fucking good. Well, we're probably going to get more this year. Yeah. I forgot. They weren't as like cloyingly sweet as almost all store bought eggnog is. Yeah. Definitely. It was just eggy nog. Yeah. (laughs) I don't even know how to describe. Anyways. We're not drinking that today. What we are drinking... Yeah, just like Halloween, we've uh, wrangled a couple 
craft beers, local yeah. craft beers to count down with our episodes. So our local uh, LCBO has, which for anyone out of Ontario, and when you live in Ontario, you have to buy your liquor from one store. Yes. And it's your beer like, from another. Not like the States where you can just buy it at any yeah. convenience store or anything like and that. And it costs grocery. nothing. Well, so you now can just, you can get it at grocery stores. You store, just get so. drunk all the time. Man, you Americans. <laughs> yeah, so, so it's lucky. a variety pack from Bo's Brewery, which yep. is one of our favorite craft breweries in Ontario. And yeah, it's from Van Cleek Hill, Ontario. Yeah, man. Uh, yeah, it was a, one of those Christmas or holiday packs. Mm-hmm. So this one's called... Giannis. Giannis. Uh, it is a Sahati which is a Finnish-style juniper ale. Uh, you know those. I find it extremely sour. Yeah, I'm going to take a drink. Uh, normally, I like juniper. I'm a huge gin fan, so it's something I enjoy, but it's extremely Ooh. sour. And it's like when it's in your mouth, it's fine, but it's like after you after you swallow it, that sourness really hits you. Like in your mouth, it's pretty good, I think. We talk we talk about this stuff like we know what we're talking about like we're some sort of like a pinkies out craft brewing mustache havers, but we are not at all. We will drink garbage. Yeah. So first movie from the seventies in a while, and I think our first cannibal movie. I don't have we even done a zombie one. I know we were going to a while ago, and I think we just forgot what one we were gonna do. We, there, someone has to have eaten human flesh at some point in one of the other things. In one of the other things, I'm sure. Oh, maybe. <laughs> we'll we'll keep you posted. Yeah, we'll for sure. Check. We'll go back and check <laughs> each one, and then we'll we'll tell you next episode. We're talking about 1973 Cannibal Girls, one of my faves. It's really good. This was like the first time I saw this movie was probably like. I was probably like, honestly, between 13 and 15. Mm-hmm. And I saw it on TV on the Scream channel. Really? Because yeah. the Scream channel was like a, a satellite. I think it was Canadian too. It was, yeah, it was like the movie network, but just for horror just movies. Just for horror movies. And it would have like little interludes with hosts and stuff like that. Wow. Like Elvira style hosts or Joe Bob Briggs. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, just thinking about the movie channel brings me back because they would send you once a month a little magazine that told you when all the movies would be on and which <laughs> movies it would be, and you had to wait to watch them. You couldn't just call them, conjure them out of thin air like you can now. Man, that really takes me back because I would highlight them as very precocious little shithead. <laughs> yeah. But that reminds me of something that does tie directly into this movie and our childhoods at the same time. Yes. Which was watching Canadian stand-up comedy and sketch yeah. shows. So crazy that Eugene Levy and Andrea Martin are yeah. in this. But awesome. Because they're such like legendary Canadian improv actors and yes. stuff. Yes. Like foundational. But this was at like the beginning of their careers, which Before. is awesome. It is awesome. Way pre-SCTV. Yeah. And I know we both used to, we have memories of watching Mm -hmm. SCTV and stuff. I have like a long list. It was SCTV, which I don't think I was ever clever enough as a child to really understand. No, me neither. I just knew my parents loved the like, we're D from Canada. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Do, 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 do. 
Yeah, and then there was, what, Comedy at Club 54? Yep. Which was like a shitty comedy club in Hamilton that just recorded all of the sets, and then they made a TV show out of it, which got syndicated. So we were watching, like, what, late 80s, early 90s bits? Oh, yeah, like, well into the late 90s. like Early 2000s? Yeah, It was fantastic. Sure. And then my favorite, Kids in the Hall, which blows snl out of the water my mho <laughs> i i love it so this is a very weirdly nostalgic movie even though i never watched it when i was a kid because eugene levy's face and andrea martin's faces were just like background noise <laughs> to, to my childhood at least because i literally when i wasn't watching the movies that i highlighted in the movie network book i was watching the same shows on repeat on the comedy network oh for sure we always watch like just for laughs specials mm-hmm. and everything like that so i don't know it's kind of weird to think that canada is so influential in terms of like stand-up comedy and even in horror i think that's yeah. a really good parallel to draw because it's a lot of like it's like outsider horror that's so true and stuff like that David like i think it's industries that start in canada and flourish in canada but they're they have to be marketed to the states yeah to make money so i don't know it's interesting to look at stuff like that like even like curtains and blah 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 yeah so it's very interesting it is (laughs) uh shall we dive in do you have anything you want to tell me about it first um, well, I'll tell you about the production afterwards. Okay, but sounds good. Yeah, so we, Cannibal Girls, 1973. This is a scary pictures release. Directed by the Ivan Reitman of Ghostbusters fame. And wow. uh, kind of written by Robert Sandler, <laughs> Daniel Goldberg, and Ivan Reitman, but it was largely improvised. Like, they had a 13-page script. It feels... Story. It feels very naturalistically It is. There's, yeah. It's a, like the dialogue and stuff seems almost shockingly naturalistic. Mm-hmm. Like the lack of exposition is perfect. Especially... Because I know that's something we always pick apart. Oh, yeah. Oh, my sister Carla's getting into town. Yeah. <laughs> like something like that. <laughs> so it stars Eugene Levy, Andrea Martin... Mm-hmm. Uh, Randall Carpenter as Anthea and it's interesting because she would go on to become like a voice actress most notably for me anyway she was the voice of Mystique in the 90s X-Men cartoon I remember collecting those comic books so good then also stars Marie Paul or Mira Pollock Mm -hmm. as Leona and Bonnie Nielsen as Clarissa and then as our reverend Mm -hmm. is ronald ulrich who never really did anything else like lots of these people this was sort of like their their thing are you kidding (laughs) he should have been he should be in things today he is so goofy truly something else you couldn't get away with that today oh definitely so effective in this one (laughs) at one point there's like a jesus christ superstar poster in the background and i was like yes that is this guy this guy is jesus christ superstar (laughs) <laughs> it's so prominently displayed. Yeah. Well, like not really, but like oh, no, it was it's intentional. Prom- it's like middle of the frame yeah. in the background in focus. Pretty it's great. funny. So it opens on a coastline aerial shot 
with a couple walking alone in the mm-hmm. snow on the beach, as you do in yeah. the cold on Exploring the beach. peninsulas. And uh, naturally, they start undressing to get frisky. Well, they put a blanket down, so it's let's not be crass. But it's There's winter. There's like snow and everything. It is obviously winter. They're not wearing balls coats. Off, man. Uh, and they are being watched from the very sparse collection of weeds in the ditch. <laughs> Two meters behind them. By some lady. Yeah. And then she pickaxes the dude. Mm-hmm. And then the attacker, like, rips the woman's shirt open and, like, dots her chest <gasps> with blood. And then she seems to fall under some sort of thrall or something. Yep. And then it cuts to downtown Farnhamville, where the sheriff is talking on the phone to somebody mm-hmm. about our opening victim. And he... Talks about it with the doctor, so it's pretty obvious that these two are in on something in yeah. some respect at this point. I mean, obviously, later we find out that everyone's in on the whole thing, but this is our first little hint that not everything's going to be on the level. Yeah, no matter how much the sign says that they are a friendly city or whatever, <laughs> there's also a, a van pulling through town with meat in prominent letters on a piece of paper taped to the side of it it says we deliver <laughs> but this is like a town of like 1,000 people i think it says eleven thousand. Oh, okay i'm pretty sure i like it well that makes more know. sense then uber meat <laughs> so after we get this little back and forth with these two we it cuts to the summer and it shows us the eponymous cannibal girl's house yeah 70s ladies full glamour giant long bangs they all look like hippie goddesses going about their lives uh their daily lives which includes feeding the ravenous henchmen bunker uh eating apples while nodding to each other in approval yep Beating the henchman with a newspaper. When he tries to get in the house. Yeah, and then there's an overlay of who will soon meet mm-hmm. as the spooky reverend with headshots of the three girls. Yeah. Hinting, perhaps, that the four know. are interconnected or perhaps under his influence. Yeah. I love the opening credits. This Bright pink. Lurid <laughs> color. Yeah. And then the, the cannibal girls font in this, like, drippy blood. <laughs> oh, so good. It's winter again, so I think it jumps ahead six months, they say, right? And we get introduced to our protagonist of the film, Gloria, Mm -hmm. and her boyfriend, Cliff. They are a young couple en route to Farnhamville for a vacation. This place seems to be the best vacation spot. It's hip, it's happy. In the GTA. (laughs) Cliff gets all quiet and... Or, like... We don't meet Cliff right away. He's sort of off pissing in the woods or something, as dudes do. Focus on Gloria as she tries in vain to determine where they are on the map. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, he's pissing in the woods. She does a little song, sing song, Mm -hmm. out out to the universe. And Cliff goes awful quiet, and she starts getting worried. So she has to go into the woods after him. And then... It's like, where are you, Cliff? Where Another one of those, which <laughs> are in every movie. And then he fucking jumps out of, I'm assuming, a tree, out of a tree, <laughs> and scares ah. the shit out of her, which I hate. 
I hate people doing that. In real life or in movies, it's a mean thing to do to someone. And Eugene Levy looks exactly like Frank Zappa. Yes. Or Groucho Marx. Yeah, like a 70s Groucho Marx. Yes. It's, that mane of hair is wild. And the mustache and the glasses, it's absolutely amazing he's probably so embarrassed looking back on that now he's probably one of those things like whoa i mean i'm thinking about him in schitt's creek today which if you haven't watched that show watch it it is hilarious and i don't say that lightly (laughs) but and then seeing him in this their car has trouble starting Mm -hmm. and they eventually get it going but while they're trying to start it we see one of the cannibal girls who i believe is anthea the blonde one yeah i think she has blonde hair watching she's watching from the woods with a knife in her garter later we sort of get the idea that this doesn't really make sense because this is goes against their mo so i'm not sure why she's like patrolling the woods or what whatnot i guess the first kill doesn't really make a lot of sense in that context either but eh. whatever they're Unless always it, maybe it's the redhead she seems like the wild card they're out at all hours anyways <laughs> on the road in the street in the woods wherever doesn't matter the car finally starts but only for a little bit and then it stops again until mm-hmm. gloria gives it a pep talk yeah and like a very legitimate one like i love you i know it's hard but we can do this damn it now that's nice. You think that we're going to go anywhere when you talk like that? Cliff, the car understands. You have to be nice to it. Now wait a minute. Now, I know it's been hard on you. It's very cold outside. And I, I know that you'd rather just be sitting someplace. But if you could help us out just this once, we'd really appreciate it. Gloria, please. Uh, go ahead, talk like that. Don't be sarcastic. Oh, I wasn't sarcastic. Wasn't sarcastic. Wasn't sarcastic, or Wasn't sarcastic. Go ahead. It's going to start, eh? Go ahead. We love you. Oh, love you. Love you. And the car starts. It does. Which so, leaves Cliff flabbergasted. Yeah, he's like, you should have been a mechanic. <laughs> but maybe she had some sort of psychic ability. I thought about that, too after that's implied yeah i'm just thinking about that saying it out loud that would be interesting because spoiler alert jumping around to the end she does have a couple moments where she like she sings Mm -hmm. and her song matches the like girl song that she doesn't know yet so i don't really know something Mm -hmm. like that the two of them get into town they roll up to the gas station Mm -hmm. And there's a guy there with a photo looking for his sister who's been missing for six months. And it's, he, we see the picture and it's the blonde yeah. and, and Thea. And the service attendant's like, no, I haven't seen her. And obviously Cliff is just driving through. I don't think I realized that ever before. I thought maybe that she's also supposed to be the girl from the opening, but that's a completely separate yeah, actress. Yeah, it definitely yeah. is. So I wonder what happened to her. Died, I guess. Ooh. They got, <laughs> Just got really amalgamated. Hungry. Amalgamated. Yeah. That's the wrong one. I like it. <laughs> After they leave, like all three, like Gloria, Cliff, and and Thea's brother, they leave, and the mechanic guy goes up and talks to the sheriff, who asks what 
the brother wanted. Mm -hmm. All right, Chief. What did that first guy want? Uh, he's checking up on the Reverend's girls. The Reverend wouldn't be too happy about that, would he? Nope. Well, I guess we'd better take care of him, eh? I love this while they're stopped there. Gloria goes in to get postcards. Yes. <laughs> Man. I mean, they still sell postcards, but they got to bring that back. Right now, all postcards suck. <laughs> they need new ones designed by us that look That great. look like the old ones. Yeah. It's like uh, Samson's Pig Farm or like whatever <laughs> the biggest, craziest local attractions were, but still today. I like it. Me too. Gloria, Laser tag. Gloria and Cliff get to their hotel and the woman, Mrs. Wainwright, who owns it, starts to tell the two of them the story of the three girls and three cannibal girls. This is a long story. It Richly is. Richly detailed. very long story. And it breaks uh, into some of the backstory about, yeah. about the girls. We have the, the red-haired one, Clarissa. She has an axe, and she swings it down into the ground and wakes up some sleeping dweeb who follows her back to their house. Like, just sleeping out in the woods, you know. And then it goes to the local tavern, which has an amazing neon sign. And we meet the brunette, Leona. Yeah, so there's this, like, complete dweeb sitting by himself in the bar with one of those old style like stubby can uh, beer bottles mm -hmm. and she's like oh are you alone mm -hmm. oh um can i join you do you want yeah sure want to sit down thank you okay what's your chair um, is that a little too close maybe no, i can no, oh, oh, oh oh i'm sorry Around here. Uh, yeah, actually, I'm just sort of passing through town. Oh, that's too bad. It is? Well, it's just that I share a farm with two girlfriends just outside of town. Oh, really? I I'm very interested in farming. What? I mean, dairy farming mostly. As a matter of fact, I'm sort of in the dairy business. Well, well, it's too bad that you're just passing through because I thought we could get together and you could spend a few days up at the farm and have a really good time. I like that. I just... Actually, I'm really just on my vacation, and I could spend some time, but uh, wouldn't your uh, girlfriends mind? Oh, no, they wouldn't mind at all. In fact, they, they'd really love you. She's actually a good actress. Oh, definitely. And especially because this is improvised, the conversation seems extremely naturalistic to me. Other than... Hey, I just met you. Come back to my farmhouse. Well, she has sinister intentions. I know. But and she... this is before Grinder. I mean, uh, Tinder. <laughs> so it's not like she could just sit across the bar and pick him up. This would be so much easier for them today. That's so true, because they wouldn't even have to talk to each other face-to-face -face first. No, they just have to look for new guys pop up on their close close range if on this, Tinder. If this is representative of the caliber of dude available to women of that caliber that sucks because all of the men in this movie are the worst it's easy prey though right like they're supposed to be i think it's to make them look extra good mm, by comparison that makes sense and for us the viewer to be like well of course they're gonna eat you you dumb idiot yeah you think this girl would be so sexually mm. aggressive with you i guess and then this way we don't have to cry tears over beautiful men being eaten exactly okay rick who is going to be the third mm -hmm. of this group of two dudes, 
pulls up to the ye old gas station to ask for directions to Buttonville, where he's doing a parade. Yes, and he has to get there quick. Uh, so the guy is like, same attendant as before. Oh, well, it's about 40 minutes that way. But if you take this off-road trail through the woods, you'll save about 20 minutes. <laughs> but it might be hard on your car. Don't worry about that, though. It's a rental. I love that. <laughs> you can beat the shit out of it. It's fine. So he goes on his way, and when he's driving, he sees Anthea standing in the middle of the road in a nightgown. And so he crashes the vehicle into the, the ditch. As you do. Like I said, they're out at all hours, all hours. in all weather, doing whatever. <laughs> Maybe there's some sort of psychic connection between all of these townspeople and the reverend, so he can sort of send them out as he knows people are going to be in locations or something like that. I'm all for it. It's like a hive, yeah, basically. Sounds great. <laughs> uh, we see that she's taken him to their farmhouse. Mm-hmm. As she like walks in with a, a tray of goodies and like a half of a grapefruit, some cannibals. <laughs> Jeez, Should dressed be... like the oldest sister from Little House on the Prairie, oh, the yeah. one who goes blind. Is his hand handcuffed to the bed? No, he He's just has like his... holding it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Arm, I, it's very uh, weird. It's very strange. I mean, whatever. You, you got to live your acting truth, and I'm not going <laughs> to criticize that character choice. I bet, but confusing to me downstairs the redhead and brunette clarissa and leona are prepping food and it's a very funny scene all we ever do around here is cook and eat clarissa can i please have some more meat just a minute if i don't cut it properly it won't cook well i don't care how you cut it all i want is about three more pieces what's going on here clarissa won't give me any more meat clarissa if the meat isn't cut well against the grain, it will find the way it is. And she's literally just mashing a bunch of shit, like mashing recipe, uh, vegetables and crap mm-hmm. into a giant pot. Well, not even a giant pot, a totally normal saucepan pot. And she needs more meat. She needs more meat. But Clarissa, I, who I suppose is the butcher of the group. She loves meat. She has to cut it right or else it won't taste good. Yeah, it won't cook properly in this stew. This boiled meat won't cook yeah, properly. Yeah, and they're full, definitely beef ribs, but I, mm-hmm. they're supposed to be human ribs. Just like cramming it into this pot. <laughs> Sawing it with a knife. And they're in like a 1920s farmhouse kitchen. Mm-hmm. So it's very tiny. The henchman's dancing around the background as well. <laughs> so there's a lot going on. Rick wakes up and he comes downstairs mm-hmm. and he meets our other two future victims, Felix and Earl. Oh yeah. And they all give their little backstories. Rick is in parades. He organizes parades. And he's been doing it forever. He's never missed one before. Felix is an ice cream man. Yeah. And what? And <laughs> and uh Earl is rich i think he says oh I he just remember. says i'm rich or I something wish. like that that would be great i gotta be out of here at 4 30. where are you going oh buttonville i got a parade oh uh what are you gonna be uh i run the parade oh you mean you're like the uh, grand marshal kind of thing eh? oh i run parades that's my job oh, we organize it yeah it's uh, rick parades enterprises incorporated it's, it's me yeah. <laughs> it's almost as good as what you do what do you do I'm in the ice cream business. He's president of Truck 12. 
Okay, girl, that's enough of the jokes, eh? I, uh, I got a route, you know, driving truck. What about you? Me? Yeah. I'm rich. So that night, they all have dinner, and they all pair off three for three, mm-hmm. which the guys were really excited about because they're finally going to get to fucking nail these bitches, yeah, man. Yeah, man. And, and I believe, like, they tell him that he can't leave because if they do, it'll ruin it. Because if there's not symmetry, no one's having sex. <laughs> Where are these rules written? I don't know. So it's Earl and Clarissa, Felix and Leona, and Rick and Anthea. And after dinner, Clarissa takes Earl upstairs mm-hmm. and she does a little spooky spell about blood. Within me and without me. I honor the blood, which gives me life. And takes her top off. And then she stabs Earl with scissors and kills the shit out of him. And they don't hear him scream, which is fine. No. The henchman takes the body downstairs, though, very loudly. Starts cutting him up, like, at the beginning of, like, the part in The Witch where they're also cutting up a baby. It's, like, gross. Like, like, chop, chop, chop. (laughs) Like, ugh. Back with our other characters, Felix and Leona have just finished boning. Yeah, and it was worth the wait. They're in bed together, basking in the afterglow, Mm -hmm. and she suggests that he leaves because everyone's going to be up soon. So he gets up, and behind his back, she pulls out a knife. I don't mean to body shame him, but this... Oh, yeah. He's truly an extremely hairy man. And his underwear is really bad. Yes. It's gross. So all around, perfect 10. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So she stabs him, obviously, of course. Mm-hmm. Poor dude. No, the blonde comes in while he's like, <gasps> oh, stop, right. don't do it. Yeah, and Thea comes in. And axes him. I forgot about that. Cuts off his head. Yeah, man. Why? There would be bloodstains all over this house. This is the only thing. For sure. In the modern remake, they'd have that paint that they always advertise that you can puke on and it, the puke chunks <laughs> off of it, you know? That's probably why. So they can just hose it down. <laughs> the next day, when Rick gets up, Clarissa is just standing in the kitchen, peeling a carrot with a huge machete. Like, very... You're supposed to be like, wow, she's cutting this dick up. Yeah. It, it's obvious that's the intention. It's very There's no obvious. question about she's it. She's holding it like like a foot away from her face. And she's just like smiling and laughing. And like biting the... Yeah, then she bites the tip. Hmm. All right. Rick and Anthea go outside and they have a cute little snowball fight. They take a walk around the property. Yeah, he made this weird snowman with breasts. And then they finally get down to business. Uh, and... He's like telling her all about how great his parades are, mm-hmm. how many clowns there are, and whatnot. Man, parades. Something that doesn't really happen as often anymore, I think. Definitely not. <laughs> well, at least once a year, the Santa Claus parade happens, That's I think, true. in every city and town across North America, at That's least. True. And there's that one in New York with the big inflatables. <laughs> they bump into each other all the time. Anyways. So uh, they, they fuck, mm-hmm. and Anthea gets out her chalice of blood and starts dripping it on Rick. Don't fall asleep with that one. Doing her little incantation within, within me, me and without me. And without me, I honor this blood, which gives me life. Then they uh, 
like boned down. Yep. When he wakes up, he finds himself handcuffed to the bed. And I thought this was a really great moment of realization for him where yeah. he shakes the first one, realizes he's handcuffed and he starts getting scared. And he realizes both hands are tied up. He's even more scared. Mm-hmm. But then Anthea opens the door and his face like falls because he's like, oh, okay, it's a sex thing. They all want me to come in here because they're not satiated by their lovers. The rest of the girls come in and they cover him with their blood gravy. Yeah, it's in a silver tureen. He saw it the morning before when he was coming downstairs. Mm -hmm. There was just like a pile of gore in it and he didn't say anything. Can I just say something hilarious I think I just realized? Yeah. Okay, so I think it's supposed to be a Jew. Wow. I mean, not to make any assumptions, no. but I, I, I assume Earl was a Jewish man. That's fucking hilarious. Wow. It just came to me. And she does. She like applies it just like you would apply it to your Quiznos sub. <laughs> and uh, he thinks it's very sexy initially. It's blood. Hey, dude. <laughs> And then what's up? They start eating him alive, and there's a fantastic shot of Anthea just like chewing, mm-hmm. and she smiles, and the blood like comes out of her teeth and like drifts down her chin. Yeah, it's all between her teeth, her big seventies teeth. <laughs> yeah. This is when the hotel manager, Mrs. Wainwright, has finished up her story, mm-hmm. <laughs> and she tells Gloria and Cliff that the girls were never sick a day in their life, and the house is now a restaurant. They've got good food, I hear. It's very good. Yeah. So, uh, Gloria and Cliff Cliff go back to their hotel room, and there's this, like, awkward Cliff's trying to make out with her or whatever, and she's not having it. Mm -hmm. I thought it was a really good example of how the improv script benefited the movie Mm -hmm. because the two of them are so funny together. Oh, yeah. And it truly seems like naturalistic flirtation. There's no TV. There's no TV. Oh, well. Baby. We'll make our own entertainment or whatever he says. <laughs> and uh, then he sticks a cigarette, he like whips his guitar out because he's a musician. Yeah, and she asked him to. And so he's got those crazy strings at the end of his guitar mm-hmm. and he sticks a cigarette, a lit cigarette <laughs> onto one of them. And it's just like flopping around while he's playing. The whole time Gloria's like playing with it, moving it around. All of these strings are probably like two feet long if you stretched them out. They could put someone's eye out. So he starts singing a song about early in the morning, which is very similar to the one that the Cannibal Girls sing. Oh, shit. And Gloria's interrupting him singing the wrong things, but I think she's saying the lyrics of the song that they sing later. Early one morning, one morning spring, to hear the birds whistle. Doesn't she like fall asleep immediately as she Uh stops playing with the cigarette? Yeah. Yeah, that happens. Definitely happens. But anyways, uh, she 
uh, Cliff has to go get the car fixed. So he's taking it back to the same service mechanic from earlier. I assume there's only one in this town. I don't really know. Yes, definitely. We see that in the back. Anthea's brother has returned, and the mechanics are beating the shit out of him. It's a fairly well choreographed scene. Like, he hits one of them with a can, full can of paint. Ooh, that would be very painful. And then they do this thing where they're, like, running on top of these pallets while he's running underneath, and they stab him a bunch. A bunch. A terrible, terrible way to die. Yeah. Getting stabbed, I would imagine. But I guess also so is being eaten alive. Yeah. So you definitely know at this point that the town is not on the up and up. And the sheriff shows up and asks some other worker there who oh, we've yeah. never seen before, but I guess his name is Sam. And he asks him a bunch of questions, essentially just making sure that nobody saw this happen so that they don't have to kill anyone else. Mm-hmm. And uh, then he tells him to bring the body to his wife because she'll know what to do with it. Yeah. So... The town is all in on this cannibalism thing. Apparently so. And uh, then we, we see a woman buying a roast. Oh, good afternoon, Mrs. Wilson. Can I help you with something? I'm looking for a really good cut of meat. Ah, someone special for dinner. Why, uh, yeah. Uh, Mrs. Wilson, I just have. Yes. This just came in this morning. Is it really fresh? Mrs. Wilson, if it was any fresher, it would get up and tell you itself. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Yeah. <laughs> or I think the butcher also says, oh, having someone special for dinner? Yes, yes, yeah. that is exactly what. Yeah. Mrs. Wainwright, the mm-hmm. hotel lady, escorts Gloria and Cliff to the Reverend's mansion, and she has snowshoes on. Yeah, and they don't. They, uh, Gloria's wearing a short dress, <laughs> just with this fur. She would be so cold. Her legs would yeah, fall Yeah, 73, off. she's like a mod... It was like a mile. Like, yeah, dress. her style is mm. amazing. The clothes in this movie are fucking fantastic. I want to know more about her bead necklace because the beads yeah, are all her crazy. choker. She's wearing choke. She's way, way, yeah, way ahead of. But the there's like sections curve. of it that are like all mixed together, and then there's other sections where it's just long stretches of the same one, but not the same length. Does it mean something? I don't know, man. I'm we'll have, have to, to look into her. yeah hippie yeah. hippie bead culture. <laughs> Definitely, <laughs> definitely going to look into that. So we see that the house, the reverend's house, the restaurant mm-hmm. is obviously the same one that the cannibal girls lived in. It's not really a restaurant. No. Let's be honest. When they get inside and meet the reverend, who is a whole fucking character. He's got full top hat, wearing like a tuxedo with like tails. White gloves. I wish he had a cape. Did he have a cape at any point? I don't know, but it would have been good. I think he might have when he comes into their bedroom later. And if he had like a a walking stick with a doorknob on the end like they have mm-hmm. or whatever they look like, I can only describe it as a doorknob. <laughs> he looks like a fancy magician. He's Yeah. Well, not, not his face isn't that fancy, I guess. But mm-hmm. He's dressed like a fancy magician. <laughs> uh, Eugene Levy tries lighting up a smoke. And the Reverend is not a fan. Mm-mm. Tells him it's against the rules of the house and it's not good for the, the blood. blood. Mm. Da, da, da. So then he, he breaks into this tour of the house and you get a lowdown of his entire family's pasts. Did, did you see him grab Gloria's ass? He gropes her a couple times. Man. He's very aggressive with his advances on yes, her. Yes, he is. 
disgusting. But yeah, he's giving giving them the whole rundown. Now this is the Carford family. Have you heard of them? The young lad was later suspected of having stuffed his mother-in-law into an old roll-top desk. <laughs> uh, she was a dreadful woman. She was the chief carrier of a particular social disease found in this part of the country. Oh, Cliff, look. This is my grandfather's piano. Uh, he was a man of rare taste and gusto, a musical genius. But sometimes still, you know, in the dead of evening, religious hymns seem to fill this room. That's amazing, Rev. You know, just the other day, I thought I saw my distant cousin Rex. It's rumored that he liked men, sometimes exceedingly well. <laughs> ah, well. He did produce some very fine children. Although, to be honest, none of them resemble him in the slightest. Clifford, I think you'll be interested in this sword. Now, it was owned by a French executioner. And legend has it that just as he was about to decapitate an innocent man, it slipped out of his hand and cut off his own head. How horrible. Well, these things happen, my dear. I know, this fine set of silver was supposedly owned by the Duchess of Milan. Do you know she one night poisoned a whole dinner party just because she forgot... Ooh. I'm sorry, my dear. I forgot we were just about to sit down to dinner. And this ugly assortment belonged to the three previous occupants of this house. They were three perverted, awful young ladies. I suppose I should take them down, but there's a frightful curse hanging over them, and I confess I am a little bit superstitious. Classic excuse for not removing ancient totems from your house. <laughs> they sit down for dinner, and as Cliff is looking over the menu, the Reverend gropes Gloria again, like he's like rubbing his hands oh, yeah. along her shoulders, yeah. and she's not feeling it. She's trying to get Cliff's attention, mm -hmm. like, Cliff, yeah, see anything you like? But... Despite the fact that these menus are huge size, there's, there's only one thing. thing on it. So they get two of them. The Reverend invites himself to join them for dinner. Mm -hmm. And Leona comes in to bring them some wine. He explains that it has his grandfather's ashes in it or something. Oh, it's uh, the grapes are grown on the property on his grandfather's grave. And don't you find that a human corpse gives uh, grapes a earthy quality to them or something like that like hey no thanks so at this point we know that the timelines are concurrent and not in the past as they were being presented right yeah definitely well I, which i guess we're supposed to sort of know about the guy looking for anthea and stuff but uh the reverend is being really weird and awkward and really over the top and then there's a roar scream thing yeah just it's like an elephant honestly just as the reverend says in fact the cannibals this is their table where many of their victims had their last meal ah! scream perfect timing uh and really this is the perfect excuse to go mm -hmm. like he gets up without a word and quickly goes to investigate mm -hmm. Gloria and Cliff get up, and downstairs we see that Clarissa and Bunker the henchman are fighting over a piece of meat. They're really hungry. She cuts him and Ooh. gets the meat. He, like, runs outside when nice. the reverend comes down and is like, ah. He's, he does something with his hands that yeah. silences them. He comes back in, and 
Cliff and Gloria are standing, getting ready to leave, and they awkwardly, they're like, You know, those tapestries hang really well from this side of the room. Yes, they do. They do. And then when they go back to the table, as they're peer pressured back to the table, uh, the money that Cliff had left is there, and the reverend's like, Oh, is this yours? Don't worry, the dinner's on me tonight. <laughs> hmm. And he tells them that one of the girls saw a peeper. Oh, yeah, there's a local maniac on the loose, and she thought that she saw him. Uh, and then, like, hey, they don't seem concerned about this at all, although apparently in the 70s, maniacs escaped from places all the time and ran around. I blame the lead and everything. <laughs> this was then. still pre-most of the serial killers that everyone knows about. We haven't even got to, like, the best parts of North American history yet. Yeah. <laughs> it cuts to another dinner party going mm -hmm. on at the same time with the sheriff, his wife, and the doctor, a bunch of townsfolk. I think Miss Wainwright is yeah, there, Yeah, she's too. also there. Yeah. And they're all eating dinner while praising the reverends. And there's a big framed picture of him making a Peter Pan collar with his gloved hands. These duplicitous fucks. Ah. It's weird of them that they're all eating together, but maybe it's the reverence thing. Back at the reverence house, he's reciting some Shakespeare for Gloria and Cliff. Yeah, and the three cannibal girls, the ladies, are just standing behind them. Surrounded by his coterie of cannibals. Mm -hmm. And they all start singing together. As you do. Which is very reminiscent of Gloria's singing earlier. She notices, again, the Rev perving out on her, very creepily looking at her, but she brushes it off. They are wasted, so they're going to go home, but the Reverend tries to convince them to stay. Yeah, and they're like, oh, no, 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 don't worry about it. And the Reverend's like, okay, well. Pippin, if you must go home, will you promise me one thing? Sure. As you're walking through the woods... If you hear any noise, will you run as fast as you can? Promise me that. And Clifford, don't look back. They, <laughs> they go to leave, and they walk out the door, mm -hmm. and then they immediately hear howling. I think thunder as well? It's probably the henchmen just screaming oh, in the back. That's hilarious. So it, it is so dark. They there turn are no right lights. around and go back inside. They're trapped, basically. Not fun. The reverend brings them to the room. Oh, and well, it's, the, it's his Aunt Priscilla's yeah. room. This will be your room tonight. It belonged to my Aunt Priscilla. She died, poor thing. Burned at the stake. Oh, well. Your bedclothes are on the cupboard behind you. Have a very nice sleep. Thank you very much, Reverend. Good night. Night. Good night, Priscilla. Ominous. He's obviously trying bit. to scare them into staying it's a little bit. It's pretty good. Uh, he goes and sits downstairs with all of his ladies mm -hmm. draped all over him. And he promises each one 
different part of the body. What will you have, my dear? And he says it twice. Oh, he's such a giant fucking goofball, and I love it. Yeah, he says each body part twice. The arm, the fat, succulent arm. What will you have for dinner, my lovelies? What will you have? Mm. Oh, not the fingers, my dear. Not the fingers. <laughs> no. How about the muscles, the arms? Deep red meat of the arms. What will you have, my dear? The calves. The rich, red, meaty calves. And my queen. For you, the soft, white meat of the thighs. The rich, soft thighs. And my darlings, we shall drink the blood of life. The blood of life eternal, and we shall live forever. Forever. You, my queens, and I, your king. Gloria and Cliff make out upstairs. Gotta say, this is like the last place I'd be horny. Yeah, no spook house fucking. <laughs> it's wrong and crazy to do. Suddenly there's a knock on the door and the reverend opens the door to tell them, please don't worry about any noises in the night. Sweet dreams. Good night. Just coming in. Just coming in. Not cool, dude. After he leaves, Cliff still wants to get down to business, but understandably Gloria isn't feeling it because she's a rational human being. And she's scared of the reverend and just wants the whole situation to come to an end. So they cuddle up and go to sleep. Mm -hmm. And then there's a montage of the girls reciting their little spell thing again while running their hands across their nipples in close-up shots. They're in a blood trance. One of those. And without me, I honor this blood, which gives me life. Boobs, man. Yeah. Boobs. I don't know. One thing I will Pop say about this crazy. is it didn't seem pornographic. No. it's It seemed like ritualistic, yeah. like uh, witchcraft sort of shit. Nudity, yeah. Like it wasn't like they were touching them, but they weren't like, Ugh. There was no like leering Like flicking camera. their nips and Ugh. stuff. Mm. No thanks. Like they were just, they were non-sexualized breasts. Yes. Which is awesome. So after this has happened, the reverend uh, opens the door to the room again. Gloria was right. He's going to come back. And we see him framed in a scary silhouette. A very creepy silhouette shot of him and the girls coming in from the hall and surrounding the couple. Filing in one by one. Cliff is handcuffed to the bed. And the reverend starts using his thrall to control Gloria when she wakes up. And he pulls out a knife and tells her to take it and stab Cliff. Mm -hmm. But when she goes to touch the knife, Cliff yells her name. And she snaps out of it and flees the house. Gloria. Gloria. She runs outside into the woods and it's a very great chase scene. I really like this chase It's the middle of winter in the dark. She's wearing a slip and no shoes, and she is fucking going for it, getting far. Like, it would, 
it's like a today level of brutality of running through the snow. If you've ever had to run through the snow barefoot. Bonkers chasing her. It really reminded me a lot of Texas Chainsaw, which this came out before. Mm. But it reminded me so much of when Sally's running through the woods yeah. in Texas Chainsaw. Yeah, yeah. She runs out onto the wood or onto the road just like Sally does. Oh, before that happens, she Bunker gets her and like pushes her to the ground and she beats him with the rock. Nice. Yeah. And then she runs out onto the road. <laughs> and a car stops. We see that it's the no good doctor mm-hmm. that we've already met. And he picks her up and takes her back to his place. The Reverend makes Cliff fall unconscious back at the bed. Uh, and then the doctor tries to, or he does give Gloria a sedative pill, which is a classic trope in horror movies from this yeah, time. Which did, is creepy as hell. Did they really do that then? Just constantly give people sedatives? I mean, I guess, like, think about the prevalence of quaaludes. Uh, that makes sense, actually. I, they Like, they must have, but it's crazy for him to have them in his own house giving them out but this is obviously something that they do right definitely definitely to get their meat but as like a trope in general Mm -hmm. so she takes the red pill and wakes up from the matrix and she is dressed in the clothes from the previous day just like she's been asleep the whole what what and and there's cliff and they're back at the hotel he's acting like nothing happened and he's just getting back from the mechanic Despite her reservations and confusion about what's going on. It was all a dream. She and Cliff bone down while the reverend in voiceover assures his cannibal girls that they needn't worry. Yeah. And like in retrospect, so he's boning down on her, but she's still like fucked up on the drugs. A little bit. Yeah. She said she's still a little dizzy when they leave. Mm Mm-mm. The two of them walk into town and he tries to explain it away as being psychosomatic, which he knows about because he took Psych 101 before he got kicked out. Oh, definitely. (laughs) They cover that. It's one of the first things they cover in Psych 101. Psychosomatic? Yeah, psychosomatic. Is it really? No. Oh, sorry. (laughs) Not at all. I couldn't tell if you were being sarcastic and I know you, that's what you got your bachelor's in. Yeah, man. Uh, and he blames it on, you know, you're just freaked out spending a night in the hotel with a guy for the first time. <laughs> yes, you're that important. She wants to call her parents, but when she gets into mm-hmm. the phone booth and dials, the operator says that no calls can go at long distance. Yeah. Meanwhile, while she's talking on the phone, Cliff scopes out this lady getting out of her car across the street. Flashing her inner thigh to him. <laughs> Weird. Gloria is obviously very upset. She hates this stupid town and wants to leave on the bus back to Toronto. So she and Cliff get into an argument. He leaves to go get a milkshake. Yes. And she calls the operator again to ask about the bus, but they refuse to give her the information. She has to go to the... No, she calls the drugstore. Yeah, they connect her to the drugstore where you can get the bus schedules. And while that's happening, Cliff in the background is talking to the Sharif, the sheriff. Like they know each other. They're friendly. Uh-oh. She finds out that the bus doesn't leave until morning and rushes out of the, the phone booth and waves down the first car to come by. But it's the mechanic guy. Yeah, who with the switchblade. Recognizes her. I think he's driving Cliff's car, which is why she yes. stops it. Yeah. So 
he recognizes her and is being creepy. So she gets out of the car and reunites with Cliff. And they continue to walk around the town for hours, I guess. Hours and hours. She almost complains about bites it. his finger off while trying to eat a bagel. A meat pie. Ah. Oh, that meat pie tasted funny. We see some guy at the barbershop getting his ear sliced off. Yeah. This one, I didn't understand that. I think... I think the the message is that people who pass through this town and try to get any services wind up being killed mm, for me, okay. including this guy. So it's not just the reverend that does it. It's sort of like a... Anyone? Yeah. Okay, I gotcha. Gloria and Cliff are... They, like, sit down on the sidewalk. He's complaining about his meat pie belly. Mm-hmm. And then the sheriff comes and tells him to get in his car. Hello, officer. You kids got business in town? Actually, we were just sitting Come on, on the get in we... the car. We don't like vagrants around here. We're not vagrants. We have a room down at Mrs. Wainwright's motel. It better not be lying. We got ways and means of checking out, you know. Besides, we don't fancy much of strangers around here, especially hippies and freaks. Oh, sir, you must be mistaken. We're not... Shut up. Get in the car. So Gloria's plan of waiting there until 10 a.m., I guess, mm-hmm. is not going to come to fruition because he threatens them and forces them to get into his car. He's going to take them to the restaurant, the Reverend's house, so they have no choice. Yeah, he has his gun out when he drops them off. Yeah, he drops them out, full, fully threatening them with this firearm. And when they go inside, it's all dark. And it's the one, everything is from Gloria's dream. She remembers it exactly the same. Not a good feeling. Cliff leads her through the house and into the den where there's a bunch of black candles lit. And then Bunker appears and the Reverend and the girls walk Mm -hmm. in. So we know that Cliff has betrayed her. Sorry, Gloria, they made me do it. Like presumably under hypnosis. Mm -hmm. Not under threat. It honestly could have even been under threat because... When they're at dinner and they're talking about how long they're dating, he says two weeks. That's and true. Like, no, it's been a month. So he doesn't... So there's really no investment between these two characters emotionally. That's a good point. So, like, he would betray her. So, yeah, he essentially sold her down the river. Kind Fucked of an up. asshole thing to do. <laughs> uh, he wants to leave, but mm-hmm. Bunker won't let him. And the Reverend puts Gloria under his thrall. And then she grabs a mace from Leona... Gloria? Gloria, this wasn't my idea, you know. They made me do it. Gloria? Hey, kid. Come on. Come on now. Gloria. Gloria, I'm sorry. No, 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 no. Slow-mo hits Cliff with it right in the gut, and it's a very bad slow-mo clip. Yeah. With a very obvious cut in the middle of it. Mm -hmm. And he spits out blood and falls down. Uh, What I loved about that, part of his excuse for wanting to leave, well, I'm not hungry. So he thought the Reverend was going to feed him? I think he thought (laughs) that... They were going to eat Gloria oh. and not mm. him. They wanted Gloria to join his uh, his harem. What an idiot. What a goddamn idiot. What? what? Cannibal girls. 
So he's dead, and the rest of them join hands mm-hmm. and start singing with their hands, levitating over the body. Well, Bunker pulls pulls them away. Mm-hmm. I noticed each one of them. Remember, remember when he's in the chair and he's promising, "You're going to have the arm and you're going to have the leg." Mm-hmm. They are each at what he promised them. Are they? Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, each one nice to their detail. corresponding arm and leg. So I like that. Good. Uh, they are. Then they kneel, and uh, the henchman drags the body away to uh-huh. be quartered. I guess. <laughs> Cut to the dinner table. Mm-hmm. There's meat everywhere. I guess clip everywhere. Yeah. And they're all just shoveling meat into their faces with their hands, getting it's covered in nose. this weird what I assume is honey garlic barbecue yeah, sauce. Their hands, their clothes. The Reverend watches over them. But he eats with a knife and a fork like a fucking civilized person. God damn it. Yeah. Gloria seems a little bit reluctant at first. But after a nod from the reverend, she digs right in. Mm -hmm. And then it ends with another couple at the hotel getting the same story Cliff and Gloria did. But now it's... So that's the story of the four girls. They were cannibals. And they had men. And rumor has it but they were never sick a day in their lives. Ha 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 ha, says the couple. They're just laughing it off. <laughs> the end. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> I really like the movie. This movie is fantastic. It has such a special place in my heart, too. Sorry if you guys can hear that. There's apparently some sort of dog war upstairs. Going yeah, on. they are really upset with each other. It's just a fun movie, too. And it's short. It's an hour and 20 minutes so it flies by Uh, it's it's funny it's pretty funny it's perfect it's like schlock exploitation cinema done very well very well like it's not bad by any stretch of the imagination not at all no i've I've thoroughly enjoyed this movie i've always thoroughly Mm -hmm. enjoyed this movie Obviously, it's a goofy movie. It's a low-budget goofy movie, and it's not definitely no Texas Chainsaw, but it's good. I like it. Yeah, I agree. And uh, it's a weird peek back into the the early 70s. Yeah. And, I mean, it's a year before Black Christmas came out, so this was Andrea Martin's film debut. Oh. And then the next year, she's in Black Christmas as Phil. Nice. Mm-hmm. That's really nice. It's also before Canada adopted the metric system. Oh, right. You said that because he says... Oh, it's they're all talking in terms of miles. 40 <laughs> miles, 20 miles, it's 8 miles down the road. And I was like, that's weird because they're definitely in Canada. <laughs> like the, the car even has a University of Toronto sticker on it. She is calling back to Toronto. Like It's set where it's set. It's... Can you imagine if it was the same character instead as it black christmas and then she goes back to the university of toronto because that's where it was filmed right Mm -hmm. yeah i really want to go see that that house one day me too so there's a pretty quick link between uh jamie lee curtis and eugene levy for our six degrees of jamie lee especially since she's married to christopher guest Mm. and eugene levy is in so many of his movies Mm -hmm. and whatnot but uh there's not like a, a one degree sort of connection there other than just that working relationship between the two of them. So we've got Eugene Levy, who is in A Mighty Wind with Bill Cobbs, who is in Trading Places, another Christmas movie, with Jamie Lee Curtis. 
Nice. Mm-hmm. Trading Places. It's Dan Aykroyd, yes. Jamie Lee Curtis, Bill Murray. Okay. Nope, not Bill Murray. Eddie Murphy. Yes. Thank you. I don't know how I got those two confused. Because Murray and Murphy sound similar. And it's what I do. And I'm infecting you with my brain disease where I call everyone by the wrong name the first time. And it's <laughs> spectacularly wrong. I have a little bit about production. I don't have an awful lot. But I think I have some interesting stuff that I was able to find yeah. in an interview with Ivan Reitman and Daniel Goldberg. Nice. So the two of them, Ivan Reitman and... Daniel Goldberg, who's a producer, were in Toronto. And after seeing a lot of unemployed people, friends in the entertainment industry, like Eugene Levy and Andrea Martin, they wanted to make a collective of sorts. They described it as a communist approach to the movie making process. Nice. So they raised $12,000 from friends and Reitman, I guess, went into an equipment warehouse and essentially got them to loan him the equipment and the stuff by just being like, this is all just sitting here. We'll bring it back in nine days. That is awesome. And they formed a uh, corporation. They handed out stock notes to people being like, here, you can have this part of the, the stock. Blah, blah, blah. This is like real bringing yourself up by the bootstraps. Oh, definitely. That's awesome. They didn't even have a script, just a 13-page outline. And the plan was to improvise the dialogue as it came. Dan Goldberg found the house that they would use in Aurora, Ontario. And it belonged to Mae Jarvis, who plays Mrs. Wainwright. Mm. And she's of the Jarvis Street Jarvises. Sorry, there's a street in Toronto called Jarvis Street. Yeah. And she is from the family that that street is named after. Interesting. Yes. That's very interesting. Deeply entrenched Canadiana here. I guess. I mean, what was the country like in 73? It was the first Trudeau. Mm -hmm. I don't know, man. Hmm. Way before our time. (laughs) Big time of, it was a time of a lot of changes, I think. There were no rehearsals, they just shot it. It ended up being very short and came in around 65 minutes. And according to Reitman and Goldberg, just didn't make any sense. And they were already done with the money that they'd gotten. So they were running on credit at this point, just going further and further in debt. I guess Reitman was like $150,000 in debt. Ooh. Yeah, pretty, pretty nuts. So. They went to the Canadian Film Development Corporation to try and get some money, but they were like, uh, no, <laughs> because of the content of the movie. And they showed them like the 65 minutes oh, and they no. were like, no, oh, no, I think we're good. Yeah, so this would have been like bank managers born in like the what 1900. <laughs> they knew that they had to do more reshoots. So they went back and they filled in with more comedy and horror scenes Namely, the stuff with the three dudes mm-hmm. and the two opening kills or opening kill. That makes sense. Yeah. Reitman and Goldberg really wanted to get the film to con to sell it, but they didn't even have a finished cut. It was about three weeks before the festival when they fully realized that all of their investors who had approached them were going to fall through. So 
Ivan Reitman's uncle had to step in and he loaned them $5,000 and Ivan Reitman's father gave him $1,000 so he could get to France. And while he was on the plane, he didn't even know if there was a finished cut. Like they didn't have a finished cut while he was on the plane to Cannes. And Goldberg had to borrow another $3,000 for titles to get the titles done. And like their main investor was Bellevue Pathé. $3,000? Uh-huh. Like, Bellevue Pathé was going to cover half of their costs for all of this stuff and whatever. $3,000 for those titles? Yeah, man. It would, well, they would have had to been hand-set yeah, and everything. This was expensive times for that Jeez shit. Louise. <laughs> so he was try- desperately trying to get the movie finished so it could go to a can and mm-hmm. make it for the screening since Reitman was already there. So he got called into a meeting with Bellevue Pathé, who were the investors in the film, and he gets into this meeting and there's all these suits in the office and they knew that Reitman was in con and Goldberg had a deadline. So they said, hey, look, we're not going to give you a print of the movie unless you sign this contract that gives us distribution rights. Smart. Which is obviously counterintuitive because that's the whole purpose of bringing a movie to con in mm-hmm. the first place is to get distributors. So... Goldberg knew that he had a couple of the reels in his car because he was driving Ivan Reitman's car while it Reitman was in, to be there. was in France. So he hadn't delivered the reels yet and he knew that he wasn't going to sign the contract with them. So he told them that he was going to just go drive the negatives off a cliff because he'd been working on the movie for two years and at this point he really doesn't care. Because they can't make the movie without those reels. And if they don't release the movie, they won't get any of their money back. Can you imagine the stress? Yep. Hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt over this movie and you can't sell it. So he wrote out his own document on the spot for what he needed from them. And they signed it. So the next day he got the print and... Reitman was standing in the projection booth while people were waiting for the movie when the reel finally arrived. So they cut it pretty close, like dramatically close. There was a rep from American International Pictures in the audience. I guess it was mostly like Asian and Euro people in the audience watching the first screening. So he went out and he introduced the movie and was like, uh, so hey, for for those of you who need more sex scenes, we've got those. Don't worry about it. Blah blah blah. <laughs> just <laughs> like giving promising. Yeah, just giving this like super sleazeball pitch, and so they showed the movie, and AIP came up and talked to him afterwards, and they said that they wanted the head of Allied or sorry American International Pictures, Sam Arkoff, to see the movie. So he was going to come to a screening the following week. Because I guess there were like three screenings of okay. this movie at Cannes. And so he saw it and Reitman talked to him and the guy told him that, you know, we'll let you know. But he never did. So Ooh. a few days go by and Reitman still hasn't heard anything. And he runs it into Sam Arkoff, or not Sam Arkoff. He runs into the... 
initial investor that he saw at the first screening in the like lobby of his hotel and Mm -hmm. he's like hey like i haven't heard from him he said he let us know so the guy gave uh reitman arkoff's phone number so he could call him and so he did he calls him up and sam arkoff tells him to come over to his hotel because he's leaving that afternoon and uh, he wants to talk to him about it so reitman gets there Gets called into the guy's room where there's people running around everywhere, apparently. Mm-hmm. Gets called into his bedroom, and the guy, uh, Sam Arkoff, offers him $50,000 advance for, for the movie and 20% of the profits after they break. Like, he wants 20% of the profits after the movie breaks ah. even. So, Raymond was stoked, but he knew that. This guy was leaving that afternoon, and he'd already sort of blown him off. And Reitman was going to be around Europe with his girlfriend for a while. <laughs> of course. So it might not be a, immediately that they are able to talk to each other and get back together. Mm-hmm. So he <laughs> wanted to be sure, and he asked Arkoff to write it down for him, like put it in writing, mm-hmm. which I guess was like super gauche to, to do that. Hmm. Be like, it was like a shocking thing. So hey, you gotta do what you gotta do. I don't blame him. Arkoff picked up his orange juice off of his hotel napkin and wrote down on the napkin like $50,000 advance, 20% after break even, and like gave it to Reitman. Mm-hmm. And then Reitman was like, Can you sign it <laughs> as yep. well? And the guy was like shocked and he like extended his hand instead. So it ended up getting agreed upon in a gentleman's handshake okay in con interesting yeah so it was all done by shaking on it and but then, not a signature no not a signature but nothing fell through everything worked out and yeah well that's good that everything worked out but man <laughs> i can't i guess di- we live in a different world in the 70s oh for sure <laughs> it was also like pretty weird when it came out to like marketing the picture because it's a mix of horror and comedy mm-hmm I guess they had a hard time with it. So one of the things that they used when they were marketing it was this thing that had been used in a movie in the 40s or 50s where before any, like, gory scene, it would yep. be, like, a doorbell noise. Okay, I wanted to bring to this warn, up. To warn you that something gnarly was going to come up. Because I wanted to look something up on Wikipedia, and it says they have the original poster for the movie. The picture with the warning bell... When it rings, close your eyes if you're squeamish. These girls do exactly what you think they do. <laughs> yeah, so that was part of their whole marketing strategy was using that. It wasn't particularly gory. No, not at all, but it worked. But, I guess yeah. someone else stole that and used it a couple of years later, hmm. too, hmm. because well, of its use in this movie. I don't so. blame them. Yeah, so that's Cannibal Girls. Canadian gem. Did you know... That this movie at like the Spanish International Fantasy and Horror Movie Awards basically swept Best Actress, Best yeah, Actor. Yeah, I, I knew that she won an award. I just couldn't remember. I think it was Stidges, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And she I think Best, best Actress. Picture. Yeah. Wild stuff. Wild stuff. <laughs> Great though, but wild. Can you? I wonder if Andrea Martin and Eugene Levy still have those awards somewhere. Certainly. We should tweet at. I'll tag them in our feed when, yeah, when I post it. Definitely Eugene Levy. 
we should do a Dan Levy too. Because they'd be like, hey. <laughs> oh, yeah. I would love to know what about Dan this. Levy thinks about this. Bother your dad about this because we have a lot of questions. <laughs> I don't know. I'd love to hear their stories about it. I also want to say the beer that we had initially thought was too sour by the end of this episode. The sourness is like one of those things that goes away after a while. For sure. It was... I didn't like it initially, but now I don't even remember what it tasted like now that I finished it. So. Yeah, not bad. <laughs> Definitely not a negative. Sorry, Bose. Forgettable, if anything. It was an interesting experience, though. <laughs> Juniper beer. Mm. Mm. Thank you so much for listening. This Oh, shit. Yeah, thank this you. This is our 40th episode as well. Shut yeah, the front door. I didn't think about that until just now. 40. 40, baby. Wow. What? How time flies. So thank you so much for listening. Um, as thank always, you. I'll do our whole uh, social media mm-hmm. role at DeafFirstBlood on Twitter, definitely first blood on Instagram, or you could email us definitelyfirstblood at gmail.com. And yeah, rate us, don't rate us. We don't really care. But it does help. I care. Oh. I care so much. <laughs> and the algorithms care. Help us gain those things, because they're bad. But you're not bad. I love you. Hope you guys have an amazing weekend. We really appreciate you listening. And goodbye. 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 Good night.